to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. You know, it is often said that the turning point of the prodigal son's, the, the parable of the prodigal son, is when the younger son comes to his senses, right? Confesses his sin and returns home as a repentant sinner. But this is not what Jesus is actually saying here. You know, and the difference, and the difference between this popular interpretation and what Jesus is saying is the difference between a just God and a God whose love is as far as the East is from the West. Right, in, in, in the prodigal son, the younger son wishes the father dead, and, and you'll, I'll explain to you why. Right, leaves with a third of the money, spends it in wild living, and later is left starving. Only when he is starving does he begin to think of home, where there is enough to eat. However, the father's expected response to the son's return is anger and rejection. That is what the expected response is. So the son begins to craft out a plan and begins to ask the father now to be what? To be a hired servant. Not even a, not, not a slave, but a hired servant, right? So that he can come and eat and pay back that money, right? With this plan in mind, he now begins to head back, head back home. Yet even when the son, the word of the Lord says, yet even when the son is a far distance and knowing the situation, the father runs to the son and kisses him and hugs him. Now further, in spite of the death wish for the father, because that's what it was when he asked for the inheritance. It is actually a death wish that the son is putting on the father. The father restores his son with joy, right? It is at this point and only at this point that the son sees the love of the father for him. Perhaps for the first time. So now the son sees the father's broken heart. When previously, the son didn't even consider his relationship with his father. Ponder on that. And please don't miss this point. Had the father not been willing to run to the son, the son would not know the father's heart. And there would be no right relationship so the meaning within the context of the prodigal son is, is this. Jesus begins to explain, and in part, why he needed to die on the cross. Right, The father's suffering at the beginning of the story has no effect on the prodigal son when the son sees the father's suffering as such because he begins to deem him dead. The son isn't even, even aware of it. So the son must first witness a demonstration of the father's suffering. Without witnessing this demonstration, the callous son will never understand that he is the cause of the broken relationship. Right? Without the father's visible demonstration of suffering, the prodigal will return to the, to the house as a servant. And this is crucial. He, comes, he will come back as a servant. He will quite likely take on more and more of the characteristic of his older brother. 
right? Without this visible demonstration of this costly love, there can be no reconciliation, friends. So isn't this story of the way God deals with sin, with the sin of the world that was placed on the cross? Isn't this the story? It speaks of all of that. You know, while we may be in isolation and we may be we may be feeling we've gone we've gone we've gone back, and that's how the people in that day felt. Probably they were praying and and wanting a Messiah to come, and here comes a Messiah, not as a ruler in their mindset, but as a carpenter, right? As a as a as a carpenter, and 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 you know the story of the cross, but. Um, Kenneth E. Bailey puts it this way, the cross and the prodigal. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is often misinterpreted. He says, we imagine God focused on our sin, threatening hell if we don't repent. Further, we imagine God so focused on our sin that God had to brutally sacrifice his son, Jesus, to satisfy himself. I mean, he had to be the sacrifice. But hear this, look at it from this context. Or could it be the only way God could capture our attention and hearts was to sacrifice himself? Taking all of our hate and rejection upon himself, not responding in kind, but choosing to suffer. Choosing to suffer. Suffering not in despair, but in joy. There's a beautiful verse in Hebrews for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Joy because in his expression of love, we may see his love and turn our free will, our choice back to him. Moreover, only as we experience his love are we capable of true change. I want to say this again, the way he puts it, the way Kenneth Bailey puts it, the only, moreover, only as we experience his love are we capable of true change, which is repentance. Amen. Repentance to repent. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. And why? In Matthew 13 says this, he did not tell anything without using a parable. This was to fulfill what was declared by the prophet when he said, I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will declare what has been hidden from the foundation of the world in Matthew 13, verse 34 and 35. So let's analyze this, this, uh, this, this parable a little bit. Right, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 and 12, the prodigal, who is the prodigal? And, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the property that falls to me and divide his living, uh, and, and he divided his living between them. Right, divided the inheritance. Now, there are three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable, uh, the prodigal son, or sometimes referred to as the lost son, right, are told together by Jesus. 
When he tells these parables, Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem where he knows that he will be actually killed. So he tells these parables about himself as the good shepherd, the woman who lost the coin, right? And the father to explain his purpose. So who was the prodigal son told to? Who do you think it was told to, friends? I mean, I wish you were here so I could hear you, really. But it's, it's, it's important to know that Jesus is talking to an audience, the Pharisees, who thought of themselves as righteous because they followed the law very, very carefully, right? And they looked down at the sinners, the ordinary people of the land. In the prodigal son, the older son represents really the Pharisee. And the youngest son represents the sinners. In these three parables, Jesus is answering now the Pharisees the question about why he eats and accepts sinners as they, as they deem them to be at a deep level. So verses, the verses that, that you and I have just read or that you've just, uh, or that you've just uh, heard have a particular meaning within the Middle Eastern culture. Right? If a son were to ask for his inheritance before the father's death, the son would be wishing his father dead. So that's what he's saying. So, so imagine the hurt and the pain the father had to, had to bear. So Jesus agrees with the Pharisees that the sinners are far from God. In fact, he paints a picture in which we wish God dead. Living our lives extravagantly with friends, not thinking of God. A life devoid of God. Aren't we like that? If we consider the son's words, the son is careful not to use the word inheritance. In the Middle East, accepting the inheritance means accepting responsibility to carry on providing for the family. So the son is not looking for the responsibility, but for the money, an easy way out, the easy road. Don't we behave like that so often? We're, we're looking for the easy way out. You know, we see God, yeah, you're there. We'll use you when we need to, but, you know, I've got it all. So in a way, we are prodigals. We're, we become prodigals when we veer away from the ways of God, from the mind of God, yeah. from not trusting him. Yeah. We become prodigals, right? Because that's what he did. He didn't really trust his father's goodwill and he didn't trust the father's timing. He didn't trust all of that. So Middle Eastern parables, they're, they're, they're packed with emotions, right? They speak truth. To leave out the intended inherent emotion is to miss the rich contents, right? So, so, so these Middle Eastern, the Middle Easterners would anticipate that the father's, which is God's response to the son's request, would be to explode with anger and refuse that request. Now, his son, wishing him dead, 
he would have to sell much of the property because you know why? They didn't have a bank account. There was no ING. There was no ANZ bank. There was no NAB. There was no Bendigo bank. There was none of that, right? They could not do any of that. So where was their money? Their money was in land, was in property. So that transaction now had to take place. It wasn't hiding some money under the pillow or something along those lines. But it was this land and it was property that he had, that he had to actually really sell. So imagine this. There would be shame because of the community's reaction now. Why is he selling this land? Why is he selling his inheritance? You know, why is he selling his property? However, the father, which is in this place, God actual response is to grant this request. The father knows that punishing the son would only further alienate the son from himself. So the father had two choices. He could protect himself by writing the son off, no longer considering him a son, and banishing him from his thoughts. But the father chooses the second way of suffering. The son had severed the relationship, friends. And now the father holds this broken rope out to the son in hope of reconciliation. So the return now comes. And this is, this is, this is, this, this is, this is, this is important as we bring this to a close here. The return of the prodigal son. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took, took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property to lose, to, in, in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country. He began to be in want. So a great famine, something happened there in great want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the swine and that he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. So when he came to himself, he said, how many fathers hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go. And, and, and all of that, you you, you've, you've heard me share that earlier, earlier and you heard the reading too. He says here, I, I want to I state this last line here. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That was a crucial thing. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your skilled craftsmen. So this is what he has now planned in his mind he's crafted this in his mind i will go and i will explain now f now now friends remember this he leaves his place with a certain pride yeah. right pride of being this is me this is what i am going to do i have planned this out to go and spend all of this money now he comes back with pride as well as low as he's gone to, he still has this pride because he's concocted this whole, crafted this whole uh, explanation that now he comes and he tries to maybe work his way, warm his way. Maybe I will say this. So again, pride there. To try and work it out himself, right? And so this orphan mindset that he has, I'm not worthy enough to be your son. And sin does that to us, friends. Makes us feel alone. Yeah. Like as if we are rejected, dejected, and mean nothing. 
And so when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread? So he goes on thinking that now tragedy hits the return of the prodigal son when the son spent all of his money. Famine strikes the distant land. He is forced to work and all of that, right? For foreigners, it's like a virus hits the land. Corona has come upon the land and we are forced into isolation. What happens? Is our attention being summoned at this point in time? Could this be our pivotal moment in life? Could this be your pivotal moment that God is using to also begin to grab your attention? That he is now reaching out and he is running to you. So the son's reasons for, go for going back is this, that he was hungry. He had nothing to eat. And so this next point that is being developed may seem subtle, but it highlights the difference between a God who is good and a God worth dying for. A God who is good and a God worth dying for. Right? The father, the son is not repentant. He crafts this dialogue in his mind that he feels might work to get him food and to save face. So the Pharisees know that the scriptures well and know that this genius of a plan is to manipulate, not to repent. So this son's wording is actually taken from Pharaoh. Take, taken from what the, what the Pharaoh said to Moses after, his, after the first nine plagues in Egypt. Pharaoh said anything to satisfy Moses to stop the plagues. Right? Moreover, the son is not asking to become a slave. He wants to become a craftsman so that he can pay his own way. So, so the father who's God understands that we don't turn to him with right motives, but we simply want to get something in return. Either to eat, to be healed, to be financially blessed. We want to get something in return. We don't just want to exist or I shouldn't say exist, to be in relationship with the Father for nothing more than just being Him being my Father. And just and, and knowing that that alone is, is enough because He takes care of everything. Hence, my trust level can go beyond the roof. It doesn't need to be that of a prodigal. Right? In this situation, that the son starts the journey back to the father, literally with only dirty clothes, his filthy and off-putting disposition, and a well-thought-through plan that is riddled with a humanistic mindset. And what do you think that is? And he said one word that I said earlier, pride. That's that mindset. You see, the prodigal, the prodigal leaves with pride of a certain type. That is one that says, Father, I am quite ashamed of being associated with you and keep, and keep working here, feeling like I'm losing out on all the opportunities. This is what he said earlier, right? The world out there has far better options than living here in this environment with you and the rest. I can do it on my own and without help. And so he comes back with that now and saying, I still... 
don't want to live with you, but I will at least live and I'll at least work my way and, and, and pay this. So he begins to engineer another plan after the tragedy begins to hit. And, you know, even when he, even, even when he returns, he returns with a sense of wanting to cover up. And don't we often want to, he, he comes up with what I would term, you know, a, a, a fig leaf plan. Right? It's this fig leaf plan. So this whole covering up, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they began to have this fig leaf plan and just try to cover themselves up from shame and from nakedness. Right? Now, I, I want to I read this quote, this following quote that is taken from the cross and the prodigal. The father's suffering at the beginning of their estrangement has no effect on the prodigal. He is not even aware of it. A demonstration of the father's suffering for him must be witnessed by, his, by the son. Without this, the son, in his callousness, will never discover the suffering of his father and will never understand that he is its cause. Without this visible demonstration, the prodigal will return to the house as a servant. Quite likely, he will gradually, t- gradually take on more and more of the characteristics of his older brother, the, 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 the Pharisee, that is likened to the Pharisee. Without this visible demonstration of costly love, there can be no reconciliation. There can be no, there can be no reconciliation. So how we personally define repentance in large part defines how we interact with God and others. When we feel responsible for our own, for our own repentance like the Pharisees, there is, a, there is tremendous pressure to be good. We try to be good. We try to work goodness in our own lives. The problem is that when we focus on being good, we forget the importance of the relationship with God And we go back and forth between self-righteousness and guilt. We also define goodness on a human level, friends. We then project this kind of thinking onto others. Yet when we realize that God takes the responsibility with joy to find and to restore us, we can release much of what controls us. So the father runs to him before the son can explain. He begins to he begins to ask the servants to bring a robe, a ring, a shoes, sandals, and he begins to say, "We're going to celebrate for my son was dead and now he's alive." So the son hasn't got an opportunity now to begin to share his well-crafted out plans because the father embraces him and brings him back into sonship. And that's why Jesus had to die. To bring you and I back into sonship. So he runs and he leaves the heavens to come down on earth. To begin to take on this the sacrifice, he became that calf that was killed, that was sacrificed. And like the Pharisees, there are many that look in and say, that 
didn't need to happen. I've been here all this while, working and slogging and trying to be good. Don't we feel like that? Don't we at times say that? You know, this parable, actually before that, let, let, let me share this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the second part. It says this, because just so you're aware that this is, this is so apt here, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Disregarding its shame. Endured, friends. He endured that cross. He endured the suffering. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So again, to reinforce this one truth, God ran to us. The father ran to his son that he thought was lost. We like the son Many times we will come to him with wrong motives because of sin. The heart is deceitful above all things. We don't see the broken state of our Father God. Only when we see and realize his demonstration of love will we truly repent and understand that he is a God of the second chance, the third, the fourth, and the hundredth. Perhaps you've done things that you're ashamed of. In fact, you may have a dirty little secret that you keep bottled up in your life. Maybe you don't want anyone to think about it. You don't want to think about it. And you live, you and I, we live in fear that someday, somehow, somebody Someone will find you out. Deep down inside, you are uncomfortable and even afraid. Once, perhaps, you may have been part of a worshipping community. Maybe even part of this church, but no longer. And what caused you to give up your faith was that you think God might not tolerate someone like you. You too may feel that you're beyond hope. But in reality, are you beyond hope, friends? Is God's hand too short that He cannot reach out to you? Never. Never. He's reaching out to you. Say this with me, Abba. I belong to you. That means, Father, I belong to you. Father, I belong to you.